to um, get you to repeat the top with me. Please say courageously, courageously. Focused, focused on obedience. That's a strong word, obedient. That's what you tell your children, be obedient. And it's a word that if you're not careful, you miss the power behind it. Generally, you're asking a person to obey a rule or a guideline for a reason. The reason you tell your children to be obedient when we go on the street is because a car can hit you. The reason you tell a person to be obedient is to speed laws because it becomes dangerous for everybody on the road past certain speeds. You, you may be trying to get to work, but you put other people at risk. Most people in accidents didn't mean to be in it. I can say all people in accidents <laughs> didn't want to be in them. But accidents happen because oftentimes people violate rules. They're not obedient to the guidelines. This is a curve. Slow down to 35 miles per hour around this curve. You 45, 50. You flip over. You hit somebody. Now you've messed up your day and everybody else's day because you chose to drink and drive. That's why the rule says don't drink and drive. It's not because, you know, we're trying to control your life. We just said if you could just please catch a cab or please call Uber or somebody or a friend or just go to sleep before you drive, we would appreciate it. That's for my safety and yours. Obedience is a word uh, that has a lot of power in it. And it takes courage sometimes to be obedient. In our study, we've been uh, dealing with this word focus for uh, the month. And we're getting ready. Uh, we have one more sermon in this series. And then we'll launch into a new series that I'm excited about as well. It's called Courageous Fighting. And we'll talk about the importance of fighting for your future. And then we'll end the year talking about courageous faith. Come on, say courageous fighting, courageous fighting. and courageous faith. courageous faith. All of that, to me, requires you to make a decision. Courage is not about being sure it's going to work out. Courage is just doing what you're afraid to do because you know you need to do it. It's what a mother does when a mother gets up in the morning and courageously presses her kids to get out the door to school. It's what a father does when he goes to work when he doesn't feel like it because he understands he has to provide. Courage is not about being perfect. Courage is just about being clear. And one thing you have to be courageously clear about is the importance of focus. I can't be everywhere. My mind can't be all over the place. I need to aim my life in a direction in this next five years or in this next six months. My life is a bit out of sync. Uh, you look around your house and you, you know, I, I've been in this campaign, get focused on certain projects. So I've been cleaning closets, uh, throwing out stuff, uh, giving away things. I needed to stay focused. So I need to stay home and a lot time to do this because it's amazing uh, what you find. I found money. I found some cash. So, wow, I found gift cards. I found stuff that I didn't know I had. I found I had five of the same thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I found vitamins that I bought and never used because I didn't know I had them, so I bought some more vitamins. It's amazing. You find out that you, your life for seasons can get out of focus, and you start just running around and you're not going anywhere. 
I used to tell our staff when they came to work, I, uh, especially in the maintenance department, I'd say, all right, guys, when you come in, make sure that you have a list and a plan and a strategy. We don't want to just run around sweeping. Don't come to work and grab a broom. Come to work and grab a pen and a paper. Lay out a strategy and a plan for your day, and you'll have more success in that day. And that's true in the whole of your life. And so I want you to, this month, focus with me. So let me, if you were not here, let me give you, if I can, a quick review. And this is very quick, I promise. First sermon that we talked about in our series, if we can get you to focus on where we've been so far, we talked about being courageously focused on where you're going. Can you say that with me, please? Say courageously Courageously. focused focused on where you're going. That was our first sermon in the series. And the question I asked you was, are you focused on what will move you, your life forward? And I gave this wonderful story, went through the whole life, first part of the life of Saul, the king of Israel, and how God was focused on making him king. He was focused on killing David. God was focused on giving him an opportunity. He was focused on getting David. For over 10 years, depending upon who you ask, from 7 to 13 years, but average about 10 years. So imagine all of David's 20s was all about running from Saul. Saul made him a villain, his own personal villain, and it was totally unfounded based on a song that some women sang. Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. David didn't even write the song. But Saul spent years, years focused on the wrong thing. And what's really tragic is you can spend years hating your father, years hating somebody because you didn't didn't get the promotion. You can spend years distracted having created your own villain and your whole life ministry, your whole life purpose is lost in I'm mad with my dad. How old are you? Your dad is how old? Come on, my friend. At some point, if I can just talk to him, what are you going to tell him? He wasn't there. You already know that. At what point Do you pause and say to yourself, I can't let my mother be my villain. I cannot afford that kind of time and energy. It doesn't doesn't pay. One more time, it doesn't pay. Can I say it again? It doesn't pay. It's not helpful to you to make your wife your villain, your husband, your ex. Well, he got him a new wife. Okay, move on. Come on, people. Why would you continue to live in that place? Why do you want to be with somebody who doesn't want to be with you? I'm trying to figure that out. Why would you want to be with somebody who has already decided they don't want to be with you? And so somehow you need to torture them, torture yourself, be mean to them, don't let them see the kids. All this energy wasted on what? At some point in your life, you have to understand that that's not where you're going. You must be courageously focused on where you are going. Where you are going, that's an important thing. Where am I going? I have days when I, ha- I call them thinking days. And I'll sit down and honestly, God, I'll look out the window and say, Temple, tell me where you're going. Now, you may say, do you answer? I sure do. So I know something's wrong with him. I know. <laughs> Carolyn Leaf in her wonderful book called, um, it's called, oh gosh, who knows? Let's see the name of the book. It's really a great book. I should know right as I'm reading it. It's one of my favorite. As a matter of fact, it's on my desk. I'm, I'm having a ball. You can tell because I'm not. It's called Think, Learn, Succeed. Come on, say think, think learn, learn, succeed. succeed. It's all understanding and using your mind to thrive in school and the workplace and life. And in this book, Carolyn Leaf says, she says, talking out loud is good for you because you get to hear what you're saying. That your brain responds to audible influences. Just like when other people say things, it affects you. When you say things, it affects you. 
If you look in the mirror and say, I am ugly, it affects you. That's why when I look in the mirror, I say, I am good looking. I have to sometimes squint a little bit, but I am coming along here. I'm working on this thing. There's something about having a clear vision in your life about the power of knowing where you're going and where God wants to take you. Saul missed it. Saul missed it, and we'll see next week how the end of his life was a result, was a tragic example of what happens when you miss focus. Second sermon we talked about focusing on being healthy and how important it was for you to be a healthy person. And I gave you some examples of four, response, four reasons Saul became unhealthy. The first one was the way he responded to responsibility. We saw that in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. He didn't respond well when he was first given the opportunity. Now, you've got to understand this. God thought he was qualified. That's why he gave him the job. Saul had the ability and the capacity to do the king thing well. But Saul was also a guy who was like all of us. He's standing at a fork of a road, and he decides, do I go left or do I go right? Do I think this way or do I think that way? He had a chance to change, but he chose not to. And so he did not respond well to responsibility. We talked about that. Secondly, we talked about the way he responded to the success of others. He, he was jealous in 1 Samuel chapter 18. He struggled with David's success. He didn't like the way that women, the women and the people started liking David, quote, more than him. It was all about him. And if it wasn't about him, he had a problem. And thirdly, the way he responded to instructions. In 1 Samuel 15, God gave him specific instructions, and he did part of what he was told. And you're going to see again today, he had excuses for that. And then fourthly, we talked about the way he managed failure. When he was wrong, and we all are wrong at some point. At some point, no matter how you try to be right in raising your kids, being married, working on a job, if you have clients, you, you, you're going to be wrong. Our church has missed it. People called. We didn't call back. We, we missed it. You turned in a card. We lost your card. I don't know. We, we, we are not perfect. We try hard, but we're not perfect. But here's what you don't want to do. It's what Saul did. Repeat it with me, please. Say, deny, deny, deny. Lie, 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 and lie again. If you're wrong, you're wrong. The Christian church has to have that capacity to say, okay, I like this, but that's not true. This is right, this is wrong. Saul's problem was he couldn't stay focused when he was wrong. He, he, his, his response to his own failure. Everybody fails. And here's what I've learned. I learned how much you love me when I fail. Now, I'm not saying I needed to go around failing all the time, but there's a lot you learn about people when you fail. Going to prisons and teaching people in prison is phenomenal. The most profound question I was ever asked in prison, preaching in prison, and I got to say that right because some people say, he was in prison <laughs> when I was there preaching. And I've done a lot of prison ministry in the last couple of years with the Department of Corrections. I was traveling around the state of Georgia doing different prisons, and one of the things they had me do was I, it was a book I wrote with a friend of mine. It's called Why Smart People Make Dumb Choices which they just re-released, which is nice. But anyway, she, she, um, uh, when, when, I, when we wrote this book, uh, it was amazing that they took it and used it in prisons to help people make choices, and it started with a female prison. And so I started traveling around the prisons, and, and part of the deal was I'd have about an hour, 30-minute Q&A session with 200, 300 prisoners. And one of the best questions I've ever been asked was this, how do we go back home to people we have wronged? And what do we do? 
And I told them there are two things you do. One is accept the fact that everybody can't forgive you or cannot and bring you back into their life. You killed her son. You did something horrific to her or to him or to them. And that's not a world you're welcome back into because they don't feel safe with you. You have to embrace that reality. But then you have to secondly forgive yourself. And you have to find the courage to move on in your life. But here's what you can't do. Deny, 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 lie, lie, and lie again. That's what you can't do. You have to learn how to put your arms around your failure and say, that's me. I was there and now I've learned from that. And there's something profound about Saul's inability to do that. And I, I wrote a prayer uh, that, I, that I've been doing, matter of fact, at the end of both sermons. Uh, and I'll let you read those on you. I'll read it for you real quick. Go, go up to it. says, no first sermon closing prayer. Here's the first sermon. Here's what I pray you get out of the first sermon. I pray that we would grow emotionally in our walk with God in daily life habits. I pray that we would grow beyond emotional infants, emotional children, or emotional adolescents, and become mature, emotionally developed adults. In the first sermon, I told you that, that one of the things that people fall into, and it's a trap, it's a book I mentioned to you called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I said in that book, he mentions four, Peter Scazzaro mentions four things that we tend to fall into. If you remember, we can become emotional infants, which means we want somebody to take care of us. That somebody's job should be to take care of me. That's what I'm looking for. I'm find, trying to find somebody. Our emotional children, people you can't really correct. You know what I mean? They're fine until you say something to them. And then adolescence, you know, that age, you know, those teenage years, you know what I'm saying? Those ages when you just, you just bark back at everything, any correction. Uh, then he said we can fourthly be emotional, emotional adults. And emotional adults are people that can, can look at themselves and be honest about where they are. They can be confronted. They can be challenged. They are aware of who they are. That's what our goal should be. And we don't want to become unhealthy people who can't. And the second prayer in the second sermon goes like this. Lord, help me be focused, healthy, responsible, and able to respond to the success of others with maturity and no jealousy. I pray that I would completely and honestly respond to your instructions for my life, even if it means I must give up things of great value. I understand that my actions may affect my family for generations. If I am wrong, help me admit my failure. Listen to my corrections. Not forget where you brought me from. Not, 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 not to lie, not lie about my level of obedience. And may I never believe the ends justify the means. I must be courageously focused on these values if I want to be healthy. So those are prayers you can take with you to pray during the week. You can say, I need to pray that healthy prayer. Because I tend to not do well when others surpass me. I tend to not want to surrender. That was Saul's challenge. God told him to, to get rid of everything. He says, I can get rid of everything except those things of value. The sheep that are valuable, I can't get rid of. The money that's valuable, I can't get rid of. And he said, I want you to get rid of everything. And some of us, we can give God a little bit, but we can't give God too much. And so Saul... The leader with all this opportunity in front of him couldn't get there. And so in today's sermon, I want you to please note with me Saul's tragic result because of his disobedience. Saul had this one horrible habit that he could never get over. One struggle that he could never keep in focus, and that was obedience. And I want you to see the tragic result of him being that way. First of all, I want you to set the stage by... 
turn you to 1 Samuel chapter 13 in your Bibles, and I want you to notice Saul's son Jonathan makes a decision to attack the Philistines. Now, this decision is going to set in motion a whole series of events. Now, remember the numbers as you read them. Saul reigned how, how long? One year. With me, 1 Samuel 13, verse 1. Look at Saul reigned how many years? One year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, how many years? Two years. He's been in charge two years now. Saul chose for himself how many men? Now, I need you to do this for me. Hold up three, three fingers. How many thousands? 3,000. 3,000. 2,000 were with Saul, and 1,000 you'll find later were with his son, Jonathan. So in verse 3, here's what Jonathan did with his 1,000. How many did Jonathan have? 1,000. You've got to do this. It's important. Watch me. Follow me. How many holy things, how many things did he have? He had 1,000. Daddy had 2,000. He had 1,000. Now watch what he does. He goes and he attacks, verse 3, the garrison of the Philistines. So because of that, if you go down to the bottom of the verse in verse 4, in bold print, I put it for you, Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. So now they're arch enemies. He's attacked their garrison. He attacked them. Who attacked who? He attacked them. Now watch what happens. All of a sudden, the Philistines in verse 5 respond. Now I want you to listen to their response. The Philistines, verse 5 of chapter 13, gathered together to fight with Israel. Why? Because they attacked them, right? Okay. And 30,000 chariots, how many chariots did they have? 30, Everybody said, uh-oh. Mm, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and not only 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is in the seashore in multitude. Okay, we've got a problem. We have made somebody really mad that has 30,000. How many do we have all together? 3,000. I'm sorry, we work with these people. How many do we have all together? 3,000. Now, we've attacked somebody who's mad now, and they have 30,000 chariots. That's not people. Those are just the guys on the chariots. And then, not only that, they have not only chariots, but they've got uh, 6,000 horsemen. Chariots and horsemen and people, now we're getting to the foot soldiers now, as the what? Sand which is on the seashore. So when the person was trying to count up, he says, okay, it's 30,000, 36,000. Okay, uh, it's a whole lot of them. <laughs> That's basically what he says. He says, listen, I can't count the, the foot soldiers. Now, this is a problem. And so... All of a sudden now, the world has changed. Saul now becomes terrified. Look with me at verse 6. When the men of Israel, read this out loud with me, please, come on. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were what? Distressed. Then the people did what? Hid in caves and thickets and in the rocks and in the holes and in pits. Now, I want you to pause right there for a second. Everybody's running. How many do you have? 3,000. And of the 3,000, People starting to, they're going in the holes, they're going in the bushes, the people, it's a mess. This is a mess, this is a moment, everybody's nervous. Okay, we're going to fight these thousands of people who are coming to kill us, and so we need to pray. We need God. Yes, you pick the fight, and you need God, because your son attacked those people, and so now they're coming for you. Well, watch what happens. 
right? Verse 7, some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan. See, some of them didn't just hide in the bushes. Some of them left. <laughs> they crossed over. They ran across the river. They were scattered everywhere. As for Saul, he was in Gilgal, and all the people following him were doing what? Trembling. They're scared. Hey, where are we going? Where are we going? What are we going to do? There's thousands of them. They're coming. It's, it's, I mean, it's all over CNN, everywhere, ABC, Fox. It's all over the TV set. Everybody is seeing that they are coming in large numbers. They're coming in large numbers to kill us. And we have people running and hiding in the bushes. So watch what happens. Saul panics. That's expected. Now here's what you're going to see. When you get nervous, that's when disobedience tends to rise. Your courage goes away when you're <laughs> nervous. So watch what happens now. Verse 8, then he waited. How many days did he wait? Seven. seven days. That's fair. Seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So he goes to Gilgal, he's waiting for Samuel to come because he knows he's got a big battle coming and everybody's running. Every day, more and more people are going in the bushes, more and more people are hiding in the holes, more and more people running to the caves. And where's Smith? Where's Sam? Where? Oh, boy, what happened to the whole Johnson family? Everybody's leaving. So everybody's gone. And all of a sudden, he's nervous. He says, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. Seven days. We need to pray. Samuel says he's coming. We're going to wait for Samuel the prophet because he's going to pray for us first and then we're going to fight and we'll be okay. Well, watch what happens. Uh, Saul, verse 9, said, bring me a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. That's not what he's supposed to do because he's not the priest. Please note that. Verse 10, and it happened as soon as he had finished. As soon as he'd done what? Finished. As soon as he'd finished presenting the burnt offering, Samuel came. Now, please, he told me, he said, I'm going to come in seven days, but the day wasn't over with yet. But somewhere in the seventh day, he got frustrated and said, listen, we've waited long enough. This is day seven. I'm going to give him the 12 noon or whatever time he gave him. If he's not here at 12.01, I'm offering the sacrifice, and I'm, I, I'm taking charge. Now, I want you to listen to this. This is a man who's justifying his actions because he's facing pressure. Watch this now. Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. Now, watch what he's going to do. He's going to do something you've seen him do last week, last time we studied. Lie and blame the people. Watch what happens, verse 11. Samuel said, what have you done? That's the question. What have you done? This is your time to own up to it. What have you done? You're the king now. God's giving you this opportunity. What have you done? Here's what happened. Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me, and that you, talking about you now, did not come within the days appointed. You're late. And the Philistines are gathered together at Michmash. Then I said to myself, the Philistines will come down to me on, at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. I haven't prayed yet. I haven't had my worship service in. Uh, therefore, I, I, I felt compelled, and I offered a burnt offering. That's why I did it. There's a reason for my disobedience. It's justified. Now, what's interesting about pastoring is over the years, 37 years of doing this job, I see this all the time. And I understand in my own life how easy it is, if I'm not careful, to find some justification for me compromising. 
Now, I'm not going to pick on your issue because that would be unfair. So I can say, I don't know what area you have that is a temptation for you to be disobedient in. You know what's right. You can fill in the blank. I know I shouldn't fill in the blank. I know every time I go over there, I shouldn't fill in the blank. I know when I get angry, I shouldn't fill in the blank. I know I need to be more fill in the blank. Whatever it is, without me naming it, you do a better job than I would do. The question is, how do you justify it? What's really fascinating to me is in my dialogue with people, how often I hear the justification. We love each other. We've been together. We've been in church for so long. But we have a problem with filling the blank, and we can't stop filling the blank. And we know God's not pleased with filling the blank, but we just can't stop filling the blank. You fill in the blank. I don't know what it is. And it's really amazing how you're not willing to courageously face it. This is a problem for me. This is something that I need to manage and deal with because our church will never advance until we fill in the blank. I don't know. Fill in the blank. What it is, I mean, stop fighting, money, give, fill in the blank. I don't know what it is specifically in your church or issue, that, but you know there is an, a fill in the blank issue that could be the main reason God can't. And when I deal with people, I'm always, sometimes I say to myself, how did they get here? How did this person who looks so together, sounds so together, been so together, knows so much about God, Bible and life and business and everything. How did they get here? How did they get here? Well, every time they have a client, right, they don't do what they're supposed to do on time. Maybe that's the fill in the blank. Or maybe they don't respond well, you know, to people when they complain about the work not being at the level it should be. I don't know what your business issue is, but there is a, listen to me carefully, there is a reason why you're where you are. We sow ourselves into a certain place. You ever go to the doctor and he says, oh, uh, you got a few problems here. And he said, well, I don't know why I have those problems. He said, what you been eating? Oh, fill in the blank. <laughs> Do you exercise? Fill in the blank. <laughs> when's, the last time you, when's the last time you got checked? You know what I'm saying? You, you start having the toothache. You go, what's wrong? What? Oh, my God, the devil. No, it's not. It's Snickers. It's not the devil filling the blank. I mean, come on, be honest. Saul has this problem. He's not willing to fill in the blank. He's just not willing to fill in the blank. You're going to love this story. You're going to love this part. I put on some shoes, right? I did. And uh, she's a foot doctor. So I went to that one. <laughs> you should have seen me, girl. I was running. I was walking out there. And I got home. And feet talked to me. I told you, don't put those on. And I said to my feet, listen, I found these tennis shoes, and these tennis shoes are good, and I'm not throwing them away. And my feet said, okay, you're not going to put them on? Fine. For a whole three days, my feet hurt me. Oh, God, I was in pain. I was in pain. It was so bad. And I said, I said thank you, Jesus. When I got, listen, now I brought new tennis shoes. I knew better. But I was determined, stubborn. Fill in the blank for your life. Your body's talking to you. Your teeth are talking to you. That's why they're hurting. Your life's talking to you. Your back's talking to you. Some of you say, my whole body's talking to me. But what are you going to do about it? Saul didn't do anything. Well, here we close. Watch this. Verse 13. Samuel pulls him aside. 
and he says something that's profound. Because you did this, all of your life opportunities now are limited. Verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. Been there before. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, your God. Been there before. Which he commanded you. For now, because you've done that, because you've not faced the truth about yourself, the Lord would have, would have this is important, have established your kingdom over Israel. How long? Forever. Forever. You weren't going to be the name that God talked about forever. It would have been like this. He was after the seed of Saul, not David. That's what you read now. It would have been, his kingdom was supposed to last forever. It's a long statement coming from God. But now, your kingdom, your marriage, your business, your relationships, your opportunities shall not continue. Your church, your ministry, your health, because you won't stop. Because we are determined to continue. We're going to fight and disagree until we don't like each other and can't stand each other. I've talked to people who are in relationships outside of their marriage, and I ask them, do you plan to stop? And they say, I'm thinking about it. I get that a lot. Think about it. Really? Men and women, don't, don't fool yourself. I hear it on both sides. There's something about having the courage to say, this needs to stop. In my life now. So Saul, because of this, put a limit on all of his opportunities. Now let's go back for a minute. Remember how we started this conversation. God's plan for his future was to make him king. That's what God had in his mind. Saul was focused on something else. God wanted to be healthy. He chose to be unhealthy. God wanted to give him a kingdom that would last forever. An endless list of opportunities. But he narrowed the list down. Is that what you're doing to yourself? And then you pray a prayer to God that goes something like this. I don't know why I'm where I'm at, oh God. I don't know why I'm here, oh God. I have no clue why I'm where I'm at. How could my children be this way? Fill in the blank. Look at your schedule. Look at your time. Look at, your, listen to your word. Why, why doesn't she like me? Well, because you probably call her a couple of the alphabet. Every few days. Maybe it's because they don't want to promote you on this job because you're mean at the level you're at. Why would I want you up here with me? You think this is a dumb company. You think it's a dumb company. You think it's a company that's not smart until you showed up. Now, you didn't say that in the orientation session. 
When you came into the job interview, you, was hum you were humble. I'm so glad for an opportunity. But now you've been here a few days, and you're smarter than everybody. Supervisor, an idiot. Everybody's a fool. Nobody knows what they're doing. Everybody is lost. They need you to save them. Wow. And you're so saved and so close to God. If they only had your walk with God. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's your issue. Pray something, Micah. They need some music right about now. See, that'll help you a little bit. Think about what I'm saying to you. Think about your own life. My challenge to myself is to be courageously obedient. Even when I don't want to be, and that's often. Even when I struggle in my mind and in my heart, I'm always saying, and I have to say it out loud because I don't hear it sometimes, Temple, you listening? Why are you that angry? Can your wife disagree with you? Do you have to be right? Can you listen and not, not answer so quickly? Can you change your mind? Can you, can you admit that maybe when the person married you, they didn't sign up for this? You promised a lot, right? I have this thing. When Diane married me, she signed up with a dream. She wanted, to, she wanted on our wedding day to go on a cruise on a boat for our honeymoon. What? Not the brother. It wasn't my dream. And it took me a long I ain't finished yet. Long time. She can tell you how many years it was. I did everything. I did a lot of other stuff. But one day it dawned on me. She'd get on the boat. Why must she dream past you? Now we do it twice a year. And I like it. When they hired you, are you the dream employee they thought they were getting? Are you the dream teacher? Are you the dream boss? That's my plan. Father, help me see my fill in the blanks. The promises I've broken stubbornness I've demonstrated help me see myself and help me be courageous and face those things help me walk in my house and be honest this is a mess this cannot exist I don't need to deny deny and lie lie and blame the kids and blame I need to we need to all back up the train here a little bit look at our finances oh God and not deny, 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 and lie, lie. Just tell the truth. I need to do better than this. And I need to put a plan in place to do better than this. I need a job. I need to work. I cannot survive on this level of income. I don't need to deny, 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 and lie, lie to myself. I don't need to be that angry with my dad. He cannot change what he didn't do or did. I can't. 
defeat no villains. I don't need to have villains in my life. I need to take a deep breath. And I need to be truthful with myself and focus on my future. And so, God, I give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Everybody say a big amen. Did you learn something today? Come on, I hope you learned something today. Praise God.